and strong. You hid your face and I was troubled. I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I shall go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Lord, thank you for your word. Open our eyes that we may see wondrous things from your law. Lord, I pray that your word would be alive and active, that it would not return void, that it would cut right to the heart, Lord. Open our eyes that we may see this, not to only be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word, to truly grasp and understand who you are and what you're doing. For your glory, Lord, in your name, amen. You may be seated. It's vitally important when it comes to the Bible, understanding the context of what is being said and when it's being said and why it's being said. So that beginning of Psalm 30, a psalm, a song at the dedication of the house of David. That sets the tone right there. So what is the dedication of the house of David? Well, let's find out. Will you go with me to 2 Samuel 5, please? 2 Samuel chapter 5. It's a big deal in the Bible, these palaces, these houses being dedicated, because it shows a place of security, it shows a place of safety. If you've ever read through the Old Testament, you know that there's chapters given describing Solomon's house and what Solomon's day looked like, because it showed the peace and prosperity that he had through the Lord. So this idea of David's house being established is very important. 2 Samuel chapter 5. Verse 10. And as we read through this, we used to remember this is what this psalm is about. It says in verse 10. So David went on and became great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, and cedar trees, and carpenters, and masons, and they built David a house. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people. Two words there in verse 12 that established this. The first one is established. The palace shows that David's kingdom has been established. And number two, exalted. Please note in verse 12, exalted, exalted God, exalted his kingdom, not David, his kingdom. So it's important to understand those two words. The background of this psalm is that David's kingdom is established. It's safe and secure. Please remember, David has been on the run a huge chunk of his life. Saul tried to kill him multiple times. Multiple wars. This man has been through so much. So for him to have a palace that shows his kingdom is safe and secure in the Lord. And number two, exalted. And let me stress this point. Not David is exalted. Not the palace is exalted. But God is exalted. And the glory to that. And what a place this was. Verse 11. You even have kings of other kingdoms building this place for you. This shows God's hand in favor upon David. Other kingdoms are building this place. And what are they building? Verse 11. Cedar. Masons. Etc. Ah, cedar. Don't you love the smell of cedar? We go back to the creek a lot behind our house. That's what we do to go uh, do things. And every now and then we'll find a nice log. And if it's a good log, we'll bring it back to the house and we'll cut it up and we'll use it on when we do our fires outside. And Judah found one a few weeks ago. We brought it back and didn't know exactly what it was. Got home and once it dried out and cleaned up a little bit, it was a cedar. So we've cut that up. And now when we do our fires outside, if it's a special fire, we'll throw a piece of cedar on it. Because it just, it just the smell of it. So this cedar house, David is established. God is exalted. With that in the back of your mind now, let's see what it says back in Psalm 30. Verse 1, I will extol you, O Lord. When's the last time you used the word extol? When's the last time you went into work and you said to your co-workers, you know, I just really want to extol you. It's a Bible word. 
It's a word that the Bible uses that we need to understand, but it's not a word that we use in our normal everyday language. And to be quite honest, it's probably good because this is such a powerful word. This is not praise. This is the best description you could try to find is praise enthusiastically. So you, you have praise, but then you have extolling. Some of your translations say exalting. So why are we extolling the Lord, exalting the Lord? Well, once again, go back to our context because David's kingdom has been established. He's at a place of safety and security. So there's an extolling, there's an exalting. And this is what David is telling us through the psalm, through the Lord, is I will extol you, O Lord, for you lifted me up. God says you should have that same mindset. We should be a body that worships. We should be a body that praises. We should be a body that extols. That's hard for us to do. God has been teaching me so much over these last couple months. I've shared with that a few times that we've met. How the Lord has just been showing me, stripping me of everything and saying it's all about Him. You know, um, Marv contacted me yesterday and said, hey, you know, we didn't have somebody to come and do live worship like we did last Sunday. So he had some songs that they had done and they were going to be on the video. But he says, I can't get it to work in the back. So we'll have it up here for the 1030 service, but we won't have it in the back. And he was going to try to work it out. He couldn't get to work out. So I called up, you know, a couple people, I texted him. I said, hey, would you guys be willing to do um, some songs on piano? And Marv said, you know, note that piano in the back has not been tuned. So we went back there and in an untuned piano, sang some hymns. You know why? Because God's good. So we get in here this morning and we're getting ready for this. And wouldn't you know it, there's an internet problem. There's a computer issue. So we were waiting to see if we could get taken care of because that way we could show the, the worship video. It's like, you know what? God is good whether the worship video is shown or whether we're playing on this piano. God is good. We have to reach the mindset of what we understand what it means to extol you, to worship, to praise the Lord. You've heard me teach on this many times before. This is not liking music styles. This is not saying, I like worship. This is not that. This is me stopping and saying, Lord, you are so amazing. Your attributes, your character, you are merciful, loving, kind, patient. I extol you. I praise you. I worship you. Not the music, not the atmosphere, but you. I remember talking years ago to a guy where the subject came up about worship. And I remember what he said was this. He said, worship is just not my thing. I thought, man, you don't understand worship. I think what he was really saying is, it's not my musical style. It's not my musical preference. It's not the way I would do it. No, 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 no. None of that matters. When you understand what it means to extol, praise, exalt the Lord, we understand what worship truly is. Praising him for his character, praising him for his attributes, thanking him for his deeds, not sitting back and quote-unquote enjoying. Maturity in the Lord is learning how to focus on him and worship him. Immaturity of the Lord is learning how to worship and focus on us. And when we make the music, when we make the worship about us, we're completely misunderstanding and grasping that concept. And I hear it all the time. Oh, that's good worship. No. Worship is just good with an out-of-tune piano because God is just good. Why is it good? Why is extolling him good? First off, it teaches us to focus on God and not on our circumstances. I say this saying a lot, focus on the Savior, not the circumstances. Worship teaches you to focus on God and not on you. Everything we do is about us. We get up in the morning and we're hungry, so what do we think about? What do I want to eat? What do I want to wear today? What do I want to do today? We get done eating breakfast and what's our next thought? I wonder what I will have for lunch. 
We get a day off. What am I going to do on my day off? What am I going to do with my money, with my paycheck? What am I going to do? Worship teaches us to focus on God and not us. That's why it's bringing a sacrifice of praise. God is saying, can you stop thinking about you for a while? And think about me? Second thing, focus on God's workings, not our own. You know, it says in Proverbs that, you know, every man likes to praise himself. Let another man praise you, not your own lips. How often do we spend our time elevating us? We want everybody to know how great we are and how great we're doing. Worship teaches us to focus on what God is doing and not what we're doing. Can you go with me to 1 Chronicles 29? 1 Chronicles 29. So I should extol, I should exalt, I should worship, praise enthusiastically. Why? In the context of Psalm 30, because David's kingdom has been established. But we're doing it because it's good. Why is it good? Because it focuses on God, not on us. It focuses on the Savior, not our circumstances. Next point, it focuses on God's doing, God's working, not my doings, not my workings. 1 Chronicles 29 shows us this. Background First 1 Chronicles 29. David had wanted to build a house, a temple for God. David was not allowed to. God says, you have too much blood on your hands, your son Solomon will do it. Now, instead of David going and sulking and saying, woe is me, I can't do it, David then spent the rest of his life collecting all the materials to build the temple. So that way, when Solomon came in, Solomon had all the building materials there ready for him. So once again, instead of David complaining, David said, then I'll do what I can. That's a great teaching point on its own. Why do we always focus on what we can't do rather than what we can do? I hear that so much in the season that we're in right now. People want to complain about what they can't do. They want to complain about guidelines and handshakes and social distancing. Oh, we just got to get past that. Get out there and spread the gospel. Every moment I complain about what I can't do, I'm not focusing on what the Lord is doing. So David didn't whine. He didn't complain. He said, fine, I can't build it. Then I want to support those who can. Take that now spiritually. So, I can't go to be a missionary in Africa, but I'm going to go support those that can. I can't go do that ministry, then through prayer I'm going to support those that can. I'm not going to sit here and complain about it. I'm going to support those that can, because I'm just going to do what the Lord asks me to do. But focus on God's workings, not our own. Take a look at this with First Chronicles 29. Do me a favor. We're going to read verses 10 through 16. Count how many times you see you or your or the variations of it. Because the focus is focused on God's workings, not mine. Verse 10. Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. And your hand is power and might, and your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore, our God, We thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you and we are, excuse me, as were our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow without hope. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand. And all is all your own. I counted 19 times. I think there's an emphasis there. Worship, exalting, praising teaches us to not focus on what we're doing, but what God is doing. I want to emphasize two verses. Verse 14. But who am I 
And who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? Look at this. For all things come from you. And of your own we have given you. Every breath you have is from God. The blood circulating your body is from God. The life you have. Anything you do is from Him. So when you stop and you maybe give an offering, you're not giving anything of yours. It's God's. When you stop and say, sure, I'll go serve. I'll make the sacrifice of ministry. What are you talking about? It's God's time, not yours. We have this tendency to elevate all we're doing in the sack. No, it is all yours, Lord. Verse 16. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand. And it's all your own. So all this gold, all this silver, all this material we brought to build the temple is not even ours. It's yours, Lord. When we can learn that, that it's not my wife. It's the woman that the Lord gave me. They're not my children. They're the disciples that God gave me that I get to influence for so many years. This is not my church. This is where I get to serve the Lord. We have to let go of everything that we think is ours and our rights and our privileges and stop and say, Lord, worship teaches me it's all about you and what you're doing, Lord, for your glory. Third point. First one, focus on God, not focus on us. Focus on God's workings, not our own. Third one, focus on what is right and not what is wrong. Can you go with me to Philippians 4? Some people can't move past what is wrong. They can't. Everything is just wrong. You've heard me use this analogy before. They're the Eeyore Christians. Everything's just bad if you remember Winnie the Pooh. Now, please note also, I said at the first service, I don't want a church full of tiggers. That would get a little overwhelming to me. I want to make sure that's clear. You need some owls and some rabbits and everybody else too. If you've never followed Winnie the Pooh, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But the point is this. The Eeyore Christians, the woe is me, the difficulties, they can't see what God is doing, the good. In the 20 plus years I've been doing this, I have never found a solution And I've reached a point now where I step back and just say, the only thing I can do is pray for you. Because they're so convinced that they have the worst marriage, the worst health, the worst luck, the worst job, the worst car, the worst house, the worst church, the worst pastor, the worst neighbors. Everything is just awful. So the idea of worshiping God, they're focused on on them. They're focused on what is wrong and not what is right. Look at Philippians 4, starting verse 6 with me. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So that's a very simple point. Hard to do, but simple to say. Anxious for nothing, we pray about everything, we give it to the Lord, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What a great deal. I give it to Him in prayer, and God gives me peace. And it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make any sense. I should be worked up. I should be worried. I should be fearful. I should be anxious. I know, but I'm not. Because the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards your hearts and minds. But now, look at 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Choose what you're going to think about. You choose what to meditate on. I ask you, I plead with you, meditate on the attributes and the characteristics of God. He is good, he is merciful, he's loving, he is kind, he is patient. I've been in prayer meetings 
that just turn into gossip sessions because people don't want to meditate on what's good. I've been in counseling sessions that just turn into complaining fests where it's bash my bosses, bash my spouses, bash my neighbors. No, focus on what's good. I, I love the quote from Spurgeon where he talks about people at his church. The only thing they would talk about is how bad their health is, how bad their marriage is, how bad their life is. And he says this, he goes, you've told me countless times how bad your life is. How about you tell me how good your God is? Can we learn to train our minds by choosing to meditate on what is good? As it says in verse 8, to stop and say, Lord, I exalt you. I extol you. I worship you because I will focus on God, not me. I will focus on God's workings, not my own. I will focus on what is right and not what is wrong. I will focus on your attributes, your characteristics. Maturity in the Lord is learning to focus on him. Immaturity in the Lord is focusing on us. So when somebody comes up and says, worship just ain't my thing, I don't think they're understanding what worship is. It's learning to let go of every thought, every intent, everything I have, and say, God, you are so glorious that I want to extol you, exalt you, praise you enthusiastically for just who you are. Verse, that was just the introduction, folks. It's hard because look at verse 2. I cried out to you and you healed me. We don't know the details of this, but there was something obviously going on. It sounds like it was physical because verse 3, David thought he was possibly going to die. You brought my soul up from the grave. You kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. David was a man of war. How many times had arrows been shot at him and swords been slung at him? Solomon tried, excuse me, um, Saul tried to kill him multiple times. God literally saved this man's life. David was so moved by what God did that verse 4, sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his. David said, I not only want to praise the Lord, I want you to praise the Lord with me. People who praise the Lord want others to praise the Lord as well. That's why there's corporate worship. You could worship at home. There's something about the body of Christ coming together and saying, I want you saints to praise God along with me. I want you saints to give thanks along with me, corporately, together. And that may repeat for the third time. Be careful of saying worships is not my thing. Because we're not understanding and grasping what it is. But, okay, some of you may be saying, I hear you, I get it, but... But you don't know. You don't know the difficulties I am. Well, let's take a look at verse 5. Maybe there's anger for a moment. Maybe there's weeping at night. There's difficult seasons, folks. Let's not dodge that. There are health issues. There are life issues. There are job issues. There are financial issues. There are times where life is really difficult. There's a reason why in Ephesians 6, when he gives us the armor of God, he gives us a shield of faith. Because sometimes with a shield, the only thing you can do in life is hide behind your shield because things are being shot at you. There are seasons like that. But you have to remember five. His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Do you want a moment of joy or a life of joy? Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. If there's a night... There will be a morning. Never has there been a night without a morning. You have moments in your life, nights in your life that are awful, difficult, and hard. But joy comes in the morning. Can you go with me to Lamentations 3? Lamentations 3. 
Now, as you're going to Lamentations, please remember what the book of Lamentations is about. If you've never read the book of Lamentations, you can find out a lot about Lamentations by just the name of the book. Lamentations. Lament. The background of the book of Lamentations is when Babylon was surrounding Israel and surrounding Jerusalem specifically here and getting ready to destroy it. And it got so bad in Jerusalem that people were starving to death. Women were eating their children. It's an awful, awful time. It is a book of Lamentations. Their sin brought this on. But in the midst of this book, you get one of the most amazing verses, I think, in the entire Bible. Lamentations 3, verse 20. Now put yourself in the position of these Jews. Surrounded, starving, dying. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. Let's just stop right there. Have you ever had a moment like that, a season of your life where your soul was sinking? Weeping was for the night? 21. This I recall to my mind... Therefore, I have hope. Now, stop. He says, okay, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to choose to remember. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. Eeyore Christians, choose to remember God's goodness and faithfulness. Choose to remember. Remember Philippians 4.8. Choose to dwell in what is good, right, just, pure. Choose that. We can't make you. I can't make you. I spent so many times in my life trying to make somebody see how good God is. If you don't want to see it, you ain't going to see it. You have to, verse 21, choose to recall it to mind. You have to choose to remember it. You have to choose to have hope. And here's the deal with the disgruntled Eeyore Christians. Most of the time they don't realize they are. Have you ever noticed that? They don't realize it. So families, since you have to sit together as a family with all the social distancing... You have my permission. If you have an Eeyore in your family right now, poke him. Let them know that's the Holy Spirit saying, that's you. You don't even realize it, but that's you. Thus saith the Lord. Sometimes we just don't realize that we are. We don't realize that we're a complainer. We don't realize that we're always disgruntled. We don't realize that we always have something wrong. Recall to mind, choose to remember, have hope. 22, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassion feel not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. His mercies are new every morning. Therefore, great is your faithfulness. What an absolute blessing that is. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. I am not consumed. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. I have hope in him. Look at the bookends of this. 21. Recall to mind, so therefore you have hope. Remember, his mercies are new every morning. His faithfulness is great. 23. So verse 24, I have hope. There are difficult, dark times in life. But God is faithful to get you through them. He absolutely is. And I'm sure all of us here at one time or another could stop and say, I remember a time where I thought I couldn't. And you're still here. You know, it's finding interesting looking back. I've been keeping track over the last couple months of just the different things I, I feel like the Lord's kind of revealing with this whole lockdown, shutdown stuff. And, and really what's, what's coming back to me is just the emphasis on Him. The Wednesday before this all happened... So Thursday, I remember I was out here working in my office and I got a text from Tony. It basically said, hey, did you see that DeWine is now limiting to 100? It's like, oh, okay, that's going to affect all of our services. You know, we normally have a few hundred chairs and stuff like that. So what are we going to do? But this is what's interesting about that. The Wednesday before, just the day before, there was a burden that I had. And it was a ministry 
that I was struggling with. I mean, I was struggling with. Struggling to the point of I can't do this anymore, to the point of frustration, to the point of just emotion, to the point of tears, to the point of, you know, writing up an email to the board to say, guys, I don't even, I, I can't do this. So I came in here on Wednesday night. And the worship team was practicing, and I thought, I just, I just need worship. So I came in here, and I just listened to them practice and worship, and I brought my notebook, and I just started taking notes on what we're going to do to change this ministry, and praying, and seeking the Lord, and, and just what, and just have all these notes on, okay, God, what are we going to do, because I can't do this anymore. And then what, 16 hours later, I can't even do that ministry anymore. The world's on lockdown. Just like that. It just changed. It just absolutely changed like that. If someone would have come to me at that moment, as I'm sitting right over there to my left, listening to the worship team, taking notes, and just struggling, if someone would come up to me and said, James, I have a word from the Lord for you. I just want to let you know that in less than a day, there's this virus that's going to put the world in lockdown, and you're not even going to be able to meet together as a church, you know, face-to-face. You're going to do everything live-streaming. And also two and a half months from now, you're going to be back in the fellowship hall with an auto-tuned piano singing hymns because, and then you're going to be at 1030 service. They couldn't get the worship thing to work. I said, what are you talking about? I'd say, grab the stones, you false prophet. You know, it says, deal with this right now. That's what he did. God answered my prayer in a way that I couldn't even absolutely imagine. If you're saying, saying, James, were to blame me for all this? No, I'm not saying that. But in affliction, God still works good. I like what Charles Spurgeon says. He who sends the clouds can also clear the skies. How simple is that? This is just teaching me, realizing moments. His anger is but for a moment, but, but joy comes in the morning. Guys, have we not realized yet as a society, as a church, as anything, it's not about a Sunday morning service. It is about whether your neighbors and your co-workers are born again and saved. It, it, this, this would have bothered me so much a while ago. Because the presentation would have been so important to me. People are waiting to watch this online. We need to present this. We need, and I would have disguised it under, we need to present this for the goodness and the glory of God. But it was really just so we look good. And what the Lord has really been showing me is, is that person saved and that's all that matters? So right now, if you want to get whiny and complaining about something, just stop and think, do I have a coworker that's not saved? Okay, there's my ministry. Do I have a neighbor that's not saved? There's my ministry. Because that's all that matters, eternity and the gospel. And what this season is teaching me, some people can't get to that level of understanding that's just eternity. It's just too much them. And we have to learn to let all that go and just exalt and extol and just praise the Lord. Because he is good and he does good. There are dark moments. But God is good through it all. Back to Psalm 30. So things are going good for David. Verse 6, now in my prosperity I said I shall never be moved. Do you think he said that with a smile on his face? It's good. I'll never be moved. Careful. Be careful of being in that place, verse 6, of that confidence that it's all good. You know, the Bible makes it very clear in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 30. Two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? 
prosperity gets her eyes off the Lord. When I'm feeling good, I'm not praying about my health. When there's a lot of money in the checkbook, I'm not worried about the finances. How often has prosperity actually got our eyes off the Lord? If you don't believe me, look at the Old Testament. Israel never handled blessing well. Israel did so much better when the Amorites and the Philistines were breathing down their necks. They turned to God. When things are good, our eyes get off the Lord. And what happens is how quickly things can change. How many of you, over the years, have found the best job ever? Then six months later, you're looking for a new job. I remember years ago, there was somebody that was moving away, and they were moving away because they found their dream house. And it just didn't seem right. And I just said, you know, is this where the Lord led? And they straight up answered, well, no, I can't say the Lord led, but this is my dream house. Guess what? They moved later because they found another dream house. How many of you have ever met the right guy or the right gal and six months later you're single? But you knew at that moment they're the right person. Because we have this tendency to place our confidence and our prosperity and it's good and whatever. And I shall never be moved. Verse 6. Wait a second. How quickly life changes. Because look at 7. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face and I was troubled. Please note the logic of this. Follow along with me. Confidence. Not in the Lord, but in his own confidence, led to broken fellowship. Verse 7, you hid your face from me. Please remember, the face of God shows a relationship. That's why number 6, it says, make your face shine upon us. So confidence led to a broken fellowship, which led to trouble, a hidden face, which led to him, verse 18, crying out for mercy. Confidence led to broken fellowship, which led to a broken relationship with the Lord, hiding of the face, which led to crying out for mercy. Sometimes prosperity is not good. Sometimes it's good to have some affliction in our life to remind us where our faith is. Psalm 119 backs this up. Multiple verses from Psalm 119. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It is good for me that I've been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and in faithfulness you have afflicted me. I heard a pastor teach one time about James 1, where it says, uh, Blessed are us when we go through trials and tribulations. And he said that he reached a point of saying, okay, Lord, if I'm blessed by going through trials and tribulations, I'm actually going to start praying for them. Now, I have not reached that point. (laughs) I'm going to make that abundantly clear. I understand theologically what he's saying. That's hard to pray for. Because I'm always praying for just to feel better. I'm praying to have enough money that I never worry about things. I'm praying for my car to keep working. But yet the Lord says sometimes in that prosperity and that confidence, and I shall never be moved, her eyes get off the Lord. So sometimes those dark nights, those weeping moments are good because it reminds us of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And it reminds me to verse 18, cry out to him for mercy. You pray more when you're afflicted. I pray more when we're afflicted. That's what the Lord does. David, in verse 9, reached the point of wondering about death. What profit is there in my blood? When shall I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? He says, I I may die and I don't even know what's going to happen. Please remember in the Old Testament, they had a very shadowy view of death. Even though David was a man after God's own heart, you know more about death and eternity than what David does. Because David did not have the revelation that we have. We know from 2 Timothy chapter 1, it says this, But now has been revealed... By the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 
Jesus brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So Old Testament death was a shadow. We have light. We walk by faith, not by sight. We understand from what the Bible says what death is. Immediate entrance into heaven through Jesus Christ. The Old Testament didn't have that. That's why sometimes you get these verses like verse 9. If I just become dust, can I praise you? And then later on in the book of Job, you get Job making this great declaration of faith that in my flesh I shall see God. They didn't know. It was very murky to them. So we know more about death than what David does. So we can still praise God because even if a loved one is taken in death, if they're born again and saved, we know where they're at. We do not mourn as those that have no hope. There is mourning though, verse 11. But you've turned from my mourning into dancing. You put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. So therefore, verse 12, to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Mourning becomes dancing. It becomes praising. Because God is so God, is so good. I quote again Charles Spurgeon. He who sends the clouds can also clear the skies. Those moments, those nights where you said, I can't. And then you wake up and you realize, I could through Christ. That's what the Lord does. Now, if you think we're only doing Psalm 30, I didn't want to tell you at the beginning we're actually doing three psalms this morning because I was afraid you guys wouldn't stick around. And since we got a 10-minute late start, that means I get to go later. And you're not allowed to leave. Psalm um, 92, please. We're teaching Psalm 30. We're preaching Psalm 92 and 100. And what I mean by that is this. Psalm 30 lays our groundwork, and I just want to go through Psalm 92 with you just quickly. You have to understand the idea of extolling, exalting, praising, worshiping, and understanding that I'm praising God for his goodness, his characteristics, his attributes, his traits. I'm focusing on God, not focusing on me. I'm focusing on God's workings, not my own workings. I'm focusing on what's right and not what's wrong. It is good to praise him. I don't mean this the way it sounds. But if I can't teach you to praise him because he's good, how about Psalm 92 verse 1? A psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. Remember Sabbath is sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. A lot of people call Sunday Sabbath. It's really not the Sabbath. But for most purposes, we consider this a Sabbath. It's a rest. Look at verse 1. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. And to sing praises to your name, O Most High. To declare your loving kindness in the morning. And your faithfulness every night. It's good. You praise God because it's good for you. I can give testimony after testimony of times of darkness and mourning and weeping, turning on a praise song, and all of a sudden I'm thinking about the Lord and not me. I can give testimony after testimony of times of where just you stop and you say, Lord, I'm just going to praise you in faith because you are good and do good, and it changes everything. It is good to praise the Lord. If you still are battling with that, woe is me, nothing's right, I'm telling you, learn praise and worship. And learn the blessing that you get out of focusing on the Lord. Because it is good to sing praises to your name. To declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. Why are we declaring his loving kindness in the morning? That word is mercy. It's the same word used in Lamentations where his mercy is new every morning. Because some mornings you get up and you say, I can't. I can't go to work today. I can't do another day in this marriage. I can't do another day in my life. I can't. Guess what? His mercies are new every morning and you declare that mercy every morning. And then you get through the day and you lay down in your bed at night. And what do you do? Verse 2. And your faithfulness every night. You look back and you say, I did. Through the Lord. You get up in the morning and you say, I can't. But when you go to bed at night, you say, I could through the Lord. That's what praise and worship also teaches us. It reminds us of what God can do. Are there tough moments? You bet there are. Weeping may endure for a night. 
But God's mercies are new every morning. I like what John Piper says about this. He says, God's mercies are new every morning because each day only has enough mercy in it for that day. God appoints every day's troubles and God appoints every day's mercies. In the life of his children, they are perfectly appointed. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Every day has its own trouble. Every day has its own mercies. Each is new every morning. But we often tend to despair when we think that we may have to bear tomorrow's load on today's resources. God wants us to know we won't. Today's mercies are for today's troubles. Tomorrow's mercies are for tomorrow's troubles. Why are you worried about tomorrow's troubles? That morning, his mercy will be new every morning. He'll give you the mercy to get through. How often do we worry about tomorrow's troubles where God says, I give you the mercy for today's trouble. So your mercy is there every morning. And at night, I declare your faithfulness. The manna in the wilderness was given one day at a time. There was no storing up. That is the way we must depend on God's mercy. You do not receive today the strength to bear tomorrow's burdens. You are given mercies today for today's troubles. Do you realize we may not even be here tomorrow? And I don't say that facetiously. I mean that realistically. The rapture may happen. Death may happen. Why am I worried about tomorrow? Pray about tomorrow. Give it to the Lord and realize he gives me the mercy today for the trouble today. That's the promise that he's saying it. So I declare that mercy in the morning and at night I declare his faithfulness that Lord you got me through it. I go back to that example I used two and a half months ago. A burden of a ministry that was bringing me down to despair just disappeared like that overnight. Literally gone. Never would have saw that coming. How do I praise in verse 3? How about on an instrument of ten strings, on the lute, on the harp, with harmonious sound? We praise him with music, with instruments. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. Remember what we said in Chronicles, where David said, this is all yours. Even though we're giving this to you, Lord, it is all yours. So, Lord, I praise you for your work, triumph in the work of your hands. Five, oh, Lord, how great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know. Or does a fool understand this? Now, don't get mad at me about this. Don't get mad. This, I'm just going to tell you what, what the Bible is saying. There is a depth to the Lord. Five. Oh, Lord, how great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. Can we agree with that? There is a depth to the Lord. And sometimes that depth to the Lord is work. It is spending a day in prayer over one verse to figure it out. It is praying for hours, for days, for weeks, for months, for situations. That there is a depth to it and in his thoughts are deep. And to truly grasp those thoughts, I have to be willing to take that and go down to that depth. Look at 6. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. A senseless man. An animalistic man. What do animals want? They want to eat and reproduce. That's all they want to do. There are some people that come into churches that all they want to do is eat and reproduce. They're not caring about the depth of the Lord. They're not caring about being a man or woman of worship. They're not caring about obedience to God. They just want to fulfill their fleshly, lustly desires. The Bible is calling them senseless and a fool. Now, I didn't say that. The Bible did. We have a little zoo at our house. We have multiple animals. At this point, we have four chickens, four ducks, a dog, and countless cats. We have a little animal kingdom. We used to have some goats. And it's fasting when you throw out a piece of food garbage. The animal kingdom came out and who gets what? You would think the dog Bella would be the alpha. But sometimes Howard the duck gets in there and he gets the piece of food out. I don't know how that happens. Sometimes there's a kitten that comes out of nowhere and she gets the biggest chunk of meat. Sometimes the chickens get in there. Every now and then we used to have the goats. The goats would win. 
But the point of it is this. These animals, we give them traits. Bella's our dog. She's this good dog. And then Howard's this nice duck. The chickens are nice. But you throw a piece of food in the midst of these animals. And all of a sudden, it's not nice Bella. It's growling Bella. Because why? They're animalistic. They're senseless. They want to eat and reproduce. Same thing happens with us humans. We can come and act like we're in this. And I'm going to mark a verse. I'm going to underline a verse. I'm going to memorize a scripture. I'm going to worship a little. I'm going to raise my hands. But when push comes to shove, verse 5, do you want the deep things of God? Or are you senseless and animalistic and a fool? I don't say that to be mean. I'm really asking you. I'm really asking you. And I'm pleading with you to look at verse 5 and say, please desire the deep things things of God. Do we not have enough surface relationship Christians in this world? Do we not have enough people that has claimed Christ and you won't see anything deep in them in any way whatsoever? Can we not stop and say, Lord, your works are great, your thoughts are deep and I want them. What happens to them? Verse 7, when the wicked spring up like grass, when all the workers of iniquity flourish, is that they may be destroyed forever. Grass is destroyed. The senseless are destroyed. Verse 8. But you, Lord, are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies, O Lord. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. So they're scattered. They're destroyed. 10. But my horn you have exalted like a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. Fresh oil. I, I, I want to emphasize this idea of fresh oil. And, I, and I'll make this quick here because I know it is 1130 and we started late. Fresh oil. Oil is in, in the Bible representative of the Holy Spirit. And, and it is a picture of being anointed with the Holy Spirit. You know, back in Genesis 28 and Genesis 35, when Jacob made an altar, he anointed it with oil. And it represents God's presence there. You think of Psalm 133, where it talks about Aaron. It is the, like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garment. Aaron being anointed in the Holy Spirit. So fresh oil talks about a fresh anointing here with the Holy Spirit, that there's a freshness in us. Have you ever seen your Christian walk go stale? Go stagnant. Then you need a fresh oil. Every morning at the temple, they would sacrifice a lamb mixed with oil. Just think of that symbolism real quick. The lamb representing Jesus, the lamb that was slain, the oil representing the Holy Spirit. Every morning, I don't sacrifice a lamb, but every morning, every service, every study, every activity, every morning, I want to keep my eyes on the lamb, Jesus Christ, and I want that fresh oil. Some of us are going stagnant and stale because we're not understanding fresh oil. It becomes repetitive, it becomes rote. Tozer has this great teaching where it says you get into a rut and the rut becomes rote and then you begin to rot. You get in a rut, the rut becomes rote, it becomes mechanical, this is just what we do, and then you begin to rot. I tell you folks, I love this new season we're in and I never want to go back to the rut the rot and the rote, the mechanicalness of just coming up and showing up. I want it to be for God's glory, eternity, and all that we say and do. And I'm totally cool with a piano that's off tune. Because God's good and does good. I'm totally cool with whoever shows up, shows up. Social distancing. Uh, I accidentally touched Gary Baird's back today. I'm confessing that. He walked in front of me and he just, I just... Who doesn't want to touch Gary's back? So, you know... I want to say this quote real quick here about fresh oil. Each morning, 
It's one of those old Puritan quotes, so bear with me. Each morning, bend your heads, you priests of the Most High, for the fresh anointing for the new ministries that await you. The former grace and strength will not suffice. Old text must be rejuvenated and remented. Old vows must be respoken. The infilling of the Holy Spirit must be as vivid and must be as definite as the first of freshness, guys. Each morning we need to get up and we need to have the fresh oil. Let's finish this up real quick, please. We talked about the wicked flourishing, excuse me, uh, iniquity flourishing in iniquity. Not a good thing, being destroyed. Look at 12. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. We don't have palm trees around here, but you know what they look like. They're beautiful, those, those trunks going up. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon, these big, beautiful. We flourish in the Lord. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there's no unrighteousness in him. Look at 14. They shall bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. I don't get this. Why is it, brothers and sisters, that are older in the Lord? Why is it for most of them, not all of them, because I, I, there, there are some major exceptions I know. Why does it seem like most believers, as they get closer to the end, they get grumpier and they complain more? I do not get that. Look at 14. Bearing fruit in old age, they shall be fresh and flourishing. Do you not know? Did you not go to church? And I can think of some people I used to go to church with that they were of the older generation. And if they had the love of Jesus, I never saw it. If they had the joy of the Lord, I never saw it. I saw their Bible knowledge, but I never saw their joy. I never saw their love. I look at 14. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. And it just seems like there is an older generation. It's just all about them. I go back to the Charles Spurgeon quote. You've told me all your problems. Now tell me how good your God is. This doesn't mean we can't be honest and say, you know what, I'm struggling. Please pray. There are evenings and mornings and weepings. I get that. But let's have fruit to old age. Last Psalm, Psalm 100. We started 12 minutes late, so technically I have 7 minutes. I'm trying to go quick here, though. Psalm 100 is only 5 verses. But I have 10 sub-points. Um... Psalm 100 is very special to me. Psalm 100 is a psalm I read and pray over every Sunday morning. Because it's a psalm of thanksgiving. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. I, I try to, as much as possible on a Sunday morning, go by name of everybody that's serving. You know, when we used to have the full worship team up here, I, I would start on the left, be it, be it Marv, be it Bethany, be it Josh, and I would just try to go around and just remember and just pray. I, I pray for the sound guys. I pray for the servants. I try to remember who's teaching in the back and just serve the Lord with gladness. Who wants to show up to church for the people serving don't want to be there? Who wants to show up at church where that Sunday school teacher is like, I'm doing my time and I just want to get out of here? I mean, who wants that? Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of, our path, of his pasture. Takes us back to our passage in Chronicles. Takes us back to what we did in Psalm 30. It is all God. It's not us. It's not my doings. It's not my workings. It's him. He made me. It is him. It is not us. That focus. Four, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. We're back to that theme again of extolling him, exalting him, praising him. Because he's God, his character, his attributes. He's good, he's merciful, he's loving, he's kind, he's patient. 
So let's get past the point of, oh, I'm just not, in, I'm not, not into worship. Man, be into God. To who he is. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. For his mercy. And there's our word. We had mercy back in Psalm 30. We had mercy in Psalm 92. We had mercy in Lamentations 3. His mercy is new every morning. His mercy is faithful. His mercy is everlasting. So look at what we've learned about his mercy. It's new every morning. It's faithful. And now it is everlasting. And his truth endures to all generations. If you need something to praise God for, praise him for his everlasting, new, faithful mercy. And then at night, be faithful and thankful for what he has done. In way of announcements, next Sunday we're honoring our graduates. So we'll be doing that here at the 1030 service. That will be fun. If you have a graduate in your home uh, that comes out to church, let us know. We want to make sure they're honored. We look forward to that, whoever is coming. And number two, prayer call today at 3 o'clock. We will be continuing the prayer calls. Uh, We'll be changing probably the day and time. So if you have a day and time that works better for you, please let Lynette know. But we will be doing that today at 3. Wonderful blessing of just getting together and saying, Lord, I want to stop and just praise you. And I just want to pray. And I tell you... If you've never been on one, it's maybe something you're not used to. The idea of just stopping and praying through scriptures. What a blessing that comes out of it. Would you please stand with me? Thank you for your flexibility on today. Psalm 145. A praise of David. I will extol you, my God, O King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Lord, we praise you, we exalt you, we extol you for who you are, and I pray, Lord, that we would always have that in our mindset of who you are. Lord, let it never be about us, but be about you. Your, your mercy, your, your, your character, your attributes, just your goodness on who you are. Let us be a people of praise. Let us be a people of worship. Let us, Lord, focus on the good to choose that to dwell on that your everlasting faithful mercy that's new every morning and lord i pray and i plead in the name of jesus you would give us a heart for eternity a heart for the gospel a heart for lost souls that we would stop and say it's all about praising you and seeing people come into your kingdom lord we thank you and praise you and may there be a fresh anointing may the holy spirit come upon us to be the body of christ you've called us to be for your glory in all ways and all things and anybody out there that is in that stagnant stale i pray right now you're speaking to their heart the depth of who you are in your name amen hey thank you guys have a good week god bless and we will see you next week